ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Traditional owners banned commercial barramundi fishing in Buckingham Bay this year, claiming dead animals like dolphins and turtles were washing up on shore. Now, the commercial fishing industry has not made any comment on this until now. The head of the NT Barramundi Licensee Committee will be on the Country Hour in just a moment. Speaking of seafood, Australia's lobster industry is loving the videos coming out of China showing PM Anthony Albanese holding lobsters. The China market disappeared overnight, so we're cautiously optimistic that it's going to come back online soon. And in the 40-degree heat of Catherine, cattle station workers from across the north have battled it out in the Ringers Rugby Sevens. We'll bring you all of the action from this event on the show today. Hope you can stick around. We're broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC, and g'day there if you're tuning in via the podcast. Now, as we go to air this afternoon, the Stewart Highway is closed to the north of Alice Springs between the Alice Motor Vehicle Registry and the Tenamai Road intersection. So the Stewart Highway is closed, and there's some nasty fires this afternoon on Undulia and Bond Springs cattle stations, sort of to the east and northeast of Alice Springs. We're joined this afternoon by Tony Fuller from Bushfires NT. Uh, what's the latest on these fires near the Alice, Tony? Yeah, look, uh, we have actually in the process of reopening Stewart Highway at this time, um, but however, that may change at very short notice. So yeah, we've just done an aerial flight and there's an opportunity to open up and get some traffic moving. But as I said, that, that could change at very short notice. So we're just advising people, if you are travelling down there, be aware that uh, you may get stopped at either... Uh, we've moved it north now to the tra- Tropic of Capricorn. will be the next spot that will be stopping traffic and still at the MVR in Alice Springs itself. How much traffic's banked up? Uh, not sure at this stage. Um, I'm not down there, so I can't yeah. tell you. But uh, the chopper's just done a flight and said it's clear to go at this stage and they'll keep flying it to make sure that as soon as we get any advice, we'll close it again. And as for this wall of flame that can be seen on the NAFI website on Bond Springs and Undulia. What's happening out there? Yeah, look, uh, the NT Fire Service are actually running that fire at the moment and we're committing what resources we can. We had another fire south of Brewer Estate this morning that uh, Bushfires NT committed majority of our resources to that, given that there's power stations and other re- assets down there that needed to be protected but uh, I'm advised that one is getting close to being finalised and we should be, be able to move our assets um, north to Alice Springs uh, Get your Bushfires NT assets to go and help there at Undulia and Bond Springs Yeah, yeah. we've already got some there but we're going to start uh, committing some more up there uh, shortly, uh, we've already got the planes and two helicopters operating in the area with the NT fire as it is What's the threat to Alice Springs at the moment? Uh, look, there's some pretty good containment lines. There's a lot of 
obviously a lot of smoke around uh, from the reports I'm getting. Um, but you know, there's some burn scars there and there's some pretty good containment lines. So it's pretty comfortable with uh, where we're at and the crews will be putting in some back burns to strengthen those containment lines at some stage today. Um, what's your understanding on how the Andulia homestead itself is faring in all of this? Yeah, I'm, I haven't got any updates on that. Um, I know that my staff are certainly aware of it. Mm-hmm. And they've got aerial assets that can respond if need to to that if it comes under threat. Okay. Anything else that you feel people in Central Australia should be aware about this afternoon? Oh, look, it's just it's dis- disappointing that you know, a lot of our assets got taken down to uh, Brewer Estate because that was deliberately lit fires there. Um, if you see any suspicious activity or you see fires that look like they've just been lit, certainly ring triple O and let, let the police know and let us know where those fires are so we can try and get on top of them before they become a, a bigger issue for everyone. Hmm. All right. Thank you for keeping us up to date this afternoon. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is Tony Fuller, who is the incident controller at Bushfires NT. Uh, to all of our friends in Alice Springs, I hope all is well. Uh, the NAFI website shows an awful lot of flame sitting to the outskirts of town there on Undulia and Bond Springs cattle stations. Uh, the Country Hour has made an attempt to contact those stations, but as you would appreciate, they're busy. They are flat out at the moment fighting a fire that is burning through an awful lot of cattle food. Now, our reporter in town, Victoria Ellis, is not in town at the moment. She's uh, got a bit of a bird's-eye view of what's happening this afternoon. She's got up on top of Anzac Hill. (laughs) How's it looking up on the hill this afternoon, Tori? Well, in one word, Matt, it looks smoky. There's smoke as far as the eye can see, really. There's beautiful ranges that you can see off into the north uh, shrouded in smoke. And I can see two big plumes of smoke from the north and the northeast, which I presume is over at Bond Springs and Anjulia. And I can only sort of just make out the edge of Mount Gillen when I look to the southwest. So mm. it's pretty cloudy. And, yeah, like you said, I'm at the top of Mount uh, um, Anzac Hill in town and a busload of tourists have come up to take a look, but there's not much that they'll be able to see. And, in fact, I don't think anybody's going to be want to be outside too for too long today just because the smell of smoke is pretty intense around town there's been ash falling all morning i had one colleague tell me that their pool was covered in black bits of ash and when i was walking up the steps of the hill there was in the crevices of the steps little piles of ash had heaped up so it's pretty dramatic looking at the moment yeah and we can hear a bit of wind there too which is not good for those trying to fight these fires what, what what does it feel like up there at the moment in terms of the wind yeah the wind is well it would be it would be a nice wind if it was a hot day and there were no fires going but yeah like you said it's not going to be good for people fighting fires the flags on top of anzac hill are blowing they're all just horizontal and waving like one of those wiggly mans that stand out front of the the car shops yeah yeah and to put you on the spot how is it coming from the easterly direction ah uh, yes it is it yep. is yeah. Not good. And I don't know if you've had a look at the NAFI website yourself, Tori, just in the last hour or so, but there are so many individual purple hotspots um, now kind of mm. in front of that main wall of flame. And you're talking about sort of ash coming from the sky. And I just wonder if, if all of those individual purple dots are a sign of that, just the fire sort of 
spreading well in front of itself because of the ash that's flying around. Yeah, well, and that's when I wish I was even higher and standing even higher than I am right now because then I'd be able to see it all from above. But yeah, it's just oh, a nasty not day. Not a nice thing to think about. Yeah, yeah that's right. Not a good Alice. fire day at all. Mm. Yeah. All right then, I'll let you get out of that. That doesn't sound nice at all. Um, but thank you for keeping us up to date and talk to you soon. No worries, thank you. That is Victoria Ellis up on top of Anzac Hill this afternoon and the view is not great. Hi, I'm Dione Walsh from Range IQ and I'm in Alice Springs teaching a grazing course and you're listening to the Country Hour. What's it like at your place this afternoon? Let the rest of us know. Our text number is 0487 991057. In the top end, there's been some handy rainfall in the last 24 hours. Adelaide River got something like 45 millimetres, but I'm aware that some cattle stations, like Tipperary, missed the rain and got the lightning and are also fighting fires as we go to air this afternoon. Tough times, and our thoughts are with everyone out there tackling blazers. It is 20 to 1 and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Now up next you'll be hearing from the head of the NT Barramundi Licensee Committee. It's been about a month or so since traditional owners kicked the commercial fishos out of Buckingham Bay. You might remember the story. TOs had concerns about dead dolphins, dead crocodiles, even a dead dugong I think it was, washing up on shore there in Arnhem Land. We've heard from the Amateur Fishermen's Association raising concerns about gill nets, raising concerns about commercial fishing pressure moving to other areas. And during all this time, we haven't heard from the commercial sector. So that all changes next. But first, let's have a song. It is Oz Music Month here on the ABC. And I hope you enjoy this tune by The Waifs. Right across the Territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Now, back in September, traditional owners of Buckingham Bay enforced a snap ban on commercial barramundi fishing in that area, claiming industry practices had led to the deaths of dolphins, turtles and crocodiles. And it's not the only area that commercial fishers have been banned from this year, with traditional owners stopping the industry from fishing in the Mini Mini and Merganella areas to the east of Darwin earlier in the year. The Amateur Fishermen's Association of the Territory, it's concerned that commercial fishers will take their nets to other areas and put pressure on those barra stocks and is calling for a phase-out of gill nets. The commercial fishing industry has not commented on any of this until now. I caught up with Cam Berryman, who is the chair of the NT's Barramundi Licensee Committee. I'm Cameron Berryman, the chairman of the Barramundi Licensee Committee. Let's talk about the snap ban on commercial barramundi fishing in Buckingham Bay this year. We've heard from traditional owners. Let's hear from industry. What happened out there? Yeah, obviously traditional owners had some concerns out there and they've, they've closed the intertidal waters of Buckingham Bay down. Uh, industry moved out of the area immediately um, to respect of the traditional owners. There's obviously discussions going on with traditional owners at the moment. Um, it's not a permanent closure. We, you know, there is discussions happening and we hope we can get a resolution soon. Was it a surprise? 
Uh, obviously, it was a little bit of a surprise to us. You know, um, some of the reasons for the closures. Uh, we're trying to get information on, on, you know, was the caused by the Barramundi fishery. Um, but you know, look, it's it's their decision. It's their waters, and we respect that. And we hope to be able to work with them and the government work with them to address these concerns. There were claims that because of industry practices, dead turtles, dead dolphins, dead crocodiles were washing up on the shore. Is that accurate? Oh, look, I mean, we're not sure of what, what they've seen, obviously. If they, they've reported that, there's obviously concerns of that. But, I mean, looking at our data, we've got no records of, like, dolphins and turtles and that. Anything we do capture... Um, is recorded and sent to fisheries um, and it's I'm sure fisheries would address any concerns if any interactions were happening Um, obviously we're working with fisheries there's a mac review on at the moment and we're trying to make sure all our log book data and that's correct you know industry's incentive is to have better monitoring on our vessels to make sure the information is correct that's relayed out if you're out fishing for barramundi and catch a 20 centimetre barra. What do you do with it? We, we don't catch 20 centimetre barra. So our, our gear that we use, the gill net, is actually quite selective in what it catches. So it's actually very targeted, and, and most of our catch is similar size fish over that 55 centimetre mark and not much over 80 centimetres. So it's constant that we do capture the similar fish. So 20 centimetre barra, I've not seen one caught in our gear. And as for turtles and dolphins, like, is that an issue for this industry? Uh, since I've been involved, uh, zero dolphins that I'm aware of have yep. been uh, caught in barramundi gear. Um, there may be occasional interactions with turtles, but I'm not aware of anything that's been uh, deceased in the nets or gear. Uh, off the back of this snap ban in Buckingham Bay, we've then seen the Amateur Fishermen's Association call for a phase-out of gill nets being used in the Northern Territory. What's your thoughts on that, Cam? Oh, look, AFANT are in on the MAC review at the moment. You know, they're actually sitting on the review committee, so I'm sure they can relay the information through that committee. You know, it's a ministerial-appointed committee, so... Um, they're the ones providing advice to the Minister on the reform at the moment. Industry's the one that's called for the reform and to get our framework up to date. And, you know, there's AFAN on there, there's traditional owner representation on there, there's industry representation, tourism representation. So there's good... and, and scientist representation. So there's good experts there to make sure there's a good outcome. But do you think gillnets should be used in the Northern Territory? Well, at the moment, that that is the equipment that uh, the, our harvest strategy tells us we have to use. You know, we're actually working in different uh, working groups and studies at the moment to make sure our practices constantly improve. So, you know, whether we do develop a new gear or we better practice our gill nets, you know, we're, we're constantly improving. And you would see that over the last 40 years, the barramundi fishery has constantly improved its practices um, and it will constantly improve, you know, and there's good involvement um, in these working groups and that, you know, Charles Darwin University are doing programs at the moment, which the barramundi fishery 
in industry themselves are working with them to make sure our practices are, are sustainable and, and yeah. Can you smell change on the wind given what's happening on the other side of the border in Queensland and some of its bans on the practice? I'm, I'm not going to get involved in talking about Queensland. You know, we're very NT-focused, um, but we have faith with the good people on the Mac Review at the moment that, you know, it's, a, it's an iconic fishery and I think the NT government will make some smart decisions. We heard the new minister yesterday say, you know, she's going to let science and, and experts direct it and I think that's a good way to go. So looking ahead to next year's barramundi season how are things shaping up given you know at the moment not allowed to fish at mini mini merganella not allowed to fish at buckingham bay yeah look i mean i'm actually quietly confident you know we've got some new investors coming in the aboriginal sea company is now bought into the barramundi fishery which is really positive you know it just shows that people still want to be involved in the commercial barramundi fishery and i think you know with some good operators and new faces in the fishery we're going to continue to develop and become you know a great fishery which is already extremely sustainable um, and you know uh, tourists want to come here and eat wild caught barramundi you know people around Australia want to eat wild caught barramundi you know so it's important that we make sure it's still available to Australians. And how did this season go in the end a season that seemed to have lots of challenges? Oh, look, the season started very well. Um, unfortunately, a couple of operators dropped off throughout the season. Um, but, you know, these small businesses have their challenges, you know, and it's not really the closures that hurt them. You know, they weren't fishing in those areas. But um, financial stress um, caused some, some operators to finish up. But obviously with new investment coming in, um, I think, you know, things are looking very positive. And, I mean, the company that you work for is one of those companies that has invested heavily in this industry, including a, a processing facility out at East Arm. What gives you confidence in the sector? Oh, look, I just think that the fact the government's um, putting the effort in to do this reform, uh, you know, it's going to give us confidence and give others confidence to invest. And such an iconic species... A great value species. I think everyone in the NT can benefit from it. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Matt. That's Cameron Berryman, who's the chair of the NT's Barramundi Licensee Committee. The season restarts next year, February 1. Still on fishing, the Territory Government released its 10-year recreational fishing development plan this morning and at a press conference to launch the plan, the Amateur Fishermen's Association's Chief Executive, David Chiravallo, said changes to commercial fishing access were impacting his members and he said it needed to be managed better. Look, I think in the case of Barramundi, it's really clear there have been some pretty significant changes that have occurred in the commercial fishing access. What that has done has squeezed the fishers into smaller fishing areas. We've got real concerns and the tourism operators have real concerns about what that means for the sustainability of recreational fishing in the Northern Territory. We know that Barramundi are the drawcard, are the backbone of that $270 million recreational fishing industry. And so we need to make sure that uh, when we think about sustainability, we're actually understanding that recreational fishing sustainability is underpinned by abundance. And that means we have to get the management right. We can't have areas uh, becoming uh, having more competition in them 
we need to make sure that the management that's in place uh, can deal with the reality that traditional owners get to choose uh, what happens on their waters. We have to respect that, uh, but we also need to have management that is responsible uh, to that and responsive to that. David Chirivalo from the Amateur Fishermen's Association of the NT. G'day, I'm Jermaine. G'day, I'm Caleb. And we're from Territory Bees. We're out here in Darwin's rural area attending to some hives and you're listening to The Country Hour. What's it like at your place this afternoon? I've got a text here from Alex who says, Matt, I'm at uh, Pitchy Ritchie Sanctuary just on the south side of the Gap there at Alice Springs and from my vantage point, the smoke is on the town side of the main range while it's a hazy blue sky over my place with barely a whisper of breeze, says Alex on the south side of the Gap. Earlier on, we were speaking to our reporter, Victoria Ellis, who was up on Anzac Hill, and you could, you could hear the wind, which was coming from the east, and sadly, nasty fires this afternoon on both Bond Spring Station and Undulia Station. Uh, bushfires NT, I don't know about you, but to me, it, it sounded they were confident that there was not a threat to the town of Alice this afternoon, which is good. As we go to air, the Stewart Highway remains closed just to the north side of town there. Make sure you stay up to date via the Roads NT website, via Bushfires NT, and of course the ABC, your emergency broadcaster. It is four to one. Let's talk about Sun Cable, right? So this is the company that wants to go and build that multi-squillion dollar solar farm in the Northern Territory near Elliot. And then remember the plan? It wants to push all of the energy up to Darwin and then across to Singapore. It's a massive plan. It will need a massive cable to get the job done. And guess what? Sun Cable has decided on its preferred location to build a $2 billion cable manufacturing plant. Will it be built in the Northern Territory? No, 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 no. It's set to be built in Northern Tasmania. I'm joining the studio by Dan Fitzgerald. Tassie! Yes, Sun Cable says it prefers a site at Bell Bay, which is near the mouth of the Tamar River, just north of Launceston. Beautiful spot. Uh, Bell Bay apparently oh, has beautiful. a, a yeah. deep water port, uh, mm. helpful for when you're building an underwater cable, got to get ships in to go and deliver that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this plant also needs renewable power, according to Sun Cable, which Tasmania has a lot of. Um, and this manufacturing... And, and sorry, would I be right in saying it doesn't need renewable energy... The company just wants to use that type of energy. It's the company's preference to use renewable power so that it can uh, make sure that uh, all the carbon uh, emissions from this project are offset. Um, So, yes, it's their preference for that. Um, As you said, it's a a big manufacturing plant. It's got to uh, build several thousand kilometres worth of cable. It'll cost $2 billion. It'll create about 800 jobs during construction and another 400 in operation. And the interesting thing about this plant, Matt, is it will, it will include a tower that could be up to 200 metres <laughs> tall. Now, that is almost twice the size of Tasmania's current tallest building. <laughs> um, yeah, here's the Tasmania's Deputy Premier, Michael Ferguson, speaking about the tower part of this facility. It is a tall tower. Uh, That's something that will have to be uh, worked through and ultimately shared with the community in a very transparent way. We understand, although I'm not 
technically ex expert in this, a tall tower is needed with zero emissions and nothing coming out of it, uh, but it's to ensure that the gravity-led process that ensures a robust and safe cable is generated, noting that there's lots of uh, layers of conductors, um, optic fibre and of course strengthening um, armoury around that and then obviously encased in a marine grade uh, encasement. Michael Ferguson, he's Tasmania's Deputy Premier. Any reason why this isn't being built in the Northern Territory? Well, as we said, uh, the Sun Cable prefers for it to have renewable power to power this plant. Sadly, not much hey, of that it, in it the Northern give, Territory right now. give Manton Dam and Catherine and Bachelor something to do. <laughs> when they're connected up, for mm, sure, but okay. I'm not sure there's enough. <laughs> um, but actually, part of it comes back to this big tower. Uh, I contacted the Chief Minister, um, Natasha Files' office, and she's come back with a statement saying, the reason this cable is being built in Tasmania is because it needs to be coated while hanging 200 metres in the air. <laughs> and this also needs to happen near a shoreline. And Darwin Harbour does not meet those requirements due to it interfering with aerospace, so that the airport is and quite crocodiles. Near the yeah. <laughs> um, she goes on to say that yesterday's announcement by Grock and Sun Cable is good news for the territory. It shows movement in the project and getting the main connecting components of the project is underway. Wow. Wow. All right. Thank you for keeping us up to date, Dan Fitzgerald. I would have loved to have had an ear on local radio in northern Tasmania this morning. I reckon opinions would be divided in that neck of Tassie. Uh, let's go to the newsroom. See you back here in five for a chat with the Weather Bureau. G'day, this is Chris Nathaniel at Tropiculture Australia Bees Creek and you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon and a little bit of good news has just come to hand. The Stewart Highway has just been reopened to the north of Alice Springs. But remember, there's still a lot of fire and a lot of heavy smoke in that area. It is impacting the road. We've been advised that intermittent closures are likely at very short notice. So, yes, it's now reopened, but it may get closed by the end of the country hour. You know what I mean? So just be aware that that is a uh, changing situation there to the north of town. They are some really big fires there on Bond Springs and Undulia Station. On the NAFI website, you can clearly see some hot spots right near the highway. So just be very careful and very aware of this situation if you intend on doing some driving this afternoon. But right now, at six past one, the Stewart Highway has been reopened. The Prime Minister is in China, and I saw it on ABC News 24 just a second ago. Images of him holding lobsters. And I tell you what, the local Australian lobster industry likes the look of that. The China market disappeared overnight, so we're cautiously optimistic that it's going to come back online soon. You'll hear more from Australia's lobster industry in a moment about its hopes for the China trade. And you'll also be getting all of the action from the weekend's Ringers Rugby Sevens that was held in Catherine. Lots going on. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon. Billy, let's start with conditions around Alice this afternoon. Some nasty fires around. What is the latest? Yeah, look, it's, uh, I mean, it's pretty hot. Temperatures, Alice Springs, it's 34 degrees right now. Um... Yeah, it's very dry, so the humidity's, uh, what have we got, 10% right 
relative humidity, so it's hot and dry. It's certainly not the windiest day around, so that's one thing to um, everyone's advantage. But um, those winds, I mean, they are sort of coming from the easterly direction. Uh, yeah, this afternoon, probably a bit more east-southeasterly in direction, sort of 20, 15 to 20 kilometres per hour, maybe some gusts up to 30 k's per hour. So not perfect conditions, but they could be worse at the same time, I okay. guess. Okay, and just the week ahead in general for Central Australia and the Barclay, what can people expect? Look, I think the key message is it's going to continue to be hot um, and certainly for places like Alice Springs getting hotter over the next few days might even get close to 40 degrees uh, later in the week. Um, Generally remaining fairly dry as well uh, and we will see a few thunderstorms develop. So um, today, across the Lassiter district, um, there could be yeah, some isolated thunderstorms, a bit of that dry lightning that we sometimes talk about. Uh, and then, I guess, tomorrow and Wednesday, also thunderstorms across the Lassiter and the Tanami, which will probably bring a bit of patchy rain, but, but not a lot of rain. Uh, and then the second half of the week is actually looking a bit better in terms of rainfall. We'll get a bit of moisture from northern parts of the NT pushing southwards and it's looking like a generally stormy kind of a a week for Central Australia from about Thursday onwards. Are you willing to say how much rain could fall in some parts of the Territory this week? Uh, happy to have a crack, saying that's my job. Yep. <laughs> So um, through central Australia, it generally think sort of 5 to 10 millimetres is what you'd get from those storms. Um, maybe a little bit more, you know, maybe if you're lucky, 15 to 20 mils, but I think generally 5 to 10, and it's going to be patchy. But I'm sure a bit of patchy rain across the landscape is still better than nothing. Um, then up in the top end, obviously that's different because uh, we've got much deeper tropical moisture and... Um, Maybe before I give you my forecast, I'll, we'll run through what we've observed, if that's cool. Yeah, in terms of the rainfall figures. Yeah. There's some, there's some nice numbers there. And and you've got the figures for the weekend period too, the 72 hours, is that right? I do, yeah. yeah. I've got the 72-hour period. But, I mean, to be honest, I think each of these locations is just a one-day rainfall that, you know, probably occurred on one of the last three days and... The last 24 hours is probably the wettest yep. of those three days. Um, but yeah, top of the list would be, be water um, with about 70, 71 millimetres. Um, but some other good ones, so Adelaide River Township um, has had 51. Um, around the Darwin area, even so Nucky's Lagoons had 30, uh, East Arms 39. Um, day, a dry river. Sorry, Dry River down in the Daly District there, 39 millimetres as well. And there was a good one. I'm just trying to see it in the Vic River. Yeah, like Rosewood's had 15, Birimba 13. So That's handy I've, rain. That's handy rain yeah, at this time yeah, of year. Yeah. As long as there wasn't too much lightning. I, I see poor old Tipperary Station barely got a drop but got the lightning and is now out fighting fires. Yeah, so it's a bit like that, unfortunately. Yep. Um, the, it's the thunderstorms that are bringing the rain. It's also bringing the lightning, and it is a bit patchy at this stage. Yeah. All right. Anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon? Um, oh, look, I mean, probably should just mention briefly there is a fire weather warning and a fire ban for the northern Barclay district today. 
um, but that should be the last of the fire weather warnings for the rest of the week. And uh, in general, the, you know, there's moisture across the territory now, so the wet season is going to look like the wet season as it should for November. We're expecting afternoon showers and thunderstorms, especially across the top end. And that's going to start to bring those temperatures down as well. Okay, thanks for your time this afternoon. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Matt. That is Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and his Trade Minister Don Farrell are in China. They have gone to a trade expo, and perhaps you've seen the videos as well. They're up there holding Aussie beers, and they're up there holding lobsters. And for Australia's rock lobster industry, which has been locked out of the Chinese market since 2020, these are promising times. The chief executive of the Rock Lobster Fisheries Association, Kylie Cahill, says they're hopeful of this trade resuming soon. It is very heartening. Um, It's good to have our our products front and centre. Our rock lobster fishermen the commercial fishermen have had a really rough time over COVID. The China market disappeared overnight at the time. The, the difference in prices, it went from $100 a kilo down to about $30 a kilo, which is a huge crash. We've lost fishermen from the commercial industry due to the financial pressures during COVID and with the Chinese closure. So we're cautiously optimistic that it's going to come back online soon and we're certainly appreciative of of, um, uh, Mr Albanese and Mr Farrell's efforts in China. And so you're hopeful that those tariffs tariffs might be negotiated away. Is there any prospects? I mean, obviously Christmas, a lesser market in China than than Chinese New Year is. Um, Have you got any information that might suggest those tariffs could be dropped for Chinese New Year? Uh, we don't, unfortunately, at this point. There is, there's been a lot of rumours with, you know, Chinese market maybe opening soon, and 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 that's happened a lot of times. But uh, it's very difficult, to, as you would understand, to run your business model on rumours. So we've just been holding on, and and um, we're in contact with the national bodies, um, and they're certainly making uh, great efforts. Um, working with the ministers and working with Mr Albanese to get this back up and running as soon as possible. There you go. Hopes are high in the lobster industry. That was Kylie Cahill, who's the chief executive of the Rock Lobster Fisheries Association, speaking to Leon Compton. Uh, You are tuned into the Country Hour. Now... If you jump on the Meat and Livestock Australia website this afternoon and look up the Over the Hooks report for cattle, you will see that the price, you know, the Over the Hook price for a cow at the moment is $0 a kilo. The Over the Hook price for bulls is $0 a kilo. That doesn't seem right. What is going wrong? I'll tell you next. You know what we need right now? Some inappropriate songs. 
A new Aussie comedy brings you six very serious stories. It was a bit of a circus. Retold as musicals. Only in Australia could you go to a pub on a Saturday night and pick up a prince. My name is Mary Donaldson. From Chris Taylor, Andrew Hansen and the producers of Summer Heights High. It's the biggest story in Australia. I went, the world. Australian epic. <laughs> Starts Wednesday, November 8 on ABC TV and ABC iView. Have you checked it out yet? So this is the Meat and Livestock Australia website. If you go to the over-the-hook prices for cattle, you will not learn much because all of the prices are currently sitting at $0 a kilo. Now, this monthly report by MLA, it's been struggling for quite a few months, to be honest, but it now seems obsolete. And the reason, according to MLA, is that not enough abattoirs are publishing their grid prices. They're not making the grid prices public, and hence MLA is struggling to put a report together. Abattoirs might have a good reason for doing this, but it's not a great look when transparency in the meat supply chain is being heavily questioned. So what is going on? Well, I had a chat to Patrick Hutchison, who's the boss of Australia's Meat Industry Council, which represents the processors, and I asked why his members would be keeping some of these numbers under wraps. I think it's a bit of a misnomer to say we're not publicising our data, Matt. It's moreover that we're not providing individual information to MLA for them to create that report. That report has also been obsolete because grids are now so specific for our industry that they are based around brands. Mixing all of those together to try to come up with a singular index will ensure that we're not comparing apples with apples. So I think that more importantly, we've got to be very mindful that what we're asking for uh, as far as information, is already there. Farmers, stock agents, feedlotters can all contact a processor at any time, and we know that they do, to get those different um, grids, to get those different specifications, and to work out for themselves how they manage that process. So I think that we've seen a lot of information, a lot of media around price. I think that we all have to take an exceptionally cold shower and sit down and look at it in the reality that it is at the moment, because this same business model which all of us are operating in, seemed to work for one side of the group 18 months ago. Now it's working for another side of the group 18 months later. That doesn't mean it's broken. It's just that there is almost a 30% increase in supply uh, over an 18-month period, and that's got to be counting for something. It just can't be only that we're withholding information or that we're playing around with something around price. The former boss of the ACCC, Professor Alan Fells, he told the Country Hour that he's suspicious of the red meat supply chain. And he said one of the easiest ways of making a profit is when your costs fall, but you keep your prices up for a time. Eventually, you might have to bring them down. But in that interim period, your profit margin can go way up. Now, is that what we are seeing abattoirs in Australia do at the moment? To be blunt, absolutely, because farmers certainly seem to enjoy that over the 2020, 2021 and 2022. However, our members uh, support uh, markets, over 100 markets all over the world. Yes, they will be recouping margin uh, whilst they had been burning at least minus $300 per beast and $30 per small stock body over the last three years. So it's only 18 months ago that the same farming organisations were concerned about the viability of processing. So that same model, that same structure, those same buyers are all still operating in exactly the same way. 
pointing fingers at each other gets us nowhere. All it does is help politicians ensure that they potentially are going to be able to get voted in next time. That's not what this industry is about. This is one of Australia's oldest industries, and it has worked in this fashion over this time and grown all together. Pointing fingers helps nobody. That's Patrick Hutchison, who's the Chief Executive of the Australian Meat Industry Council. It's 19 past one, and you are tuned into the Country Hour. The Ringers Rugby Sevens. It was held in Catherine on the weekend. I wonder if you went along. It was a pretty hot day for the comp, but gee, a lot of people got involved. And we'll share all of the action from it with you next. Hello, I'm Frank Shadford from 17 Station. You're listening to ABC Country Hour, and I'm training the young youth of program. The Ringers Rugby Sevens competition was held in Catherine on Saturday. <laughs> a few teams sadly had to pull out because of bushfires, but nearly 20 cattle stations were represented at this event with Ringers battling it out on the rugby field in about 40 degree heat. <laughs> Our reporter Jan Kahoot went along to check out the action. <laughs> I'm Jack Rashid from Helen Springs Station in the Barclay. And uh, why are you here today? Uh, just for a bit of fun. Good chance for us all to get together and have a few beers, play a bit of footy. Why do you think playing rugby between stations is important? It's a good way for us all to get to know each other and everyone stretch their legs a bit. We don't get into town very often, so it's good to get in and do something fun. Pretty hot out there? Yeah, definitely. Hot enough, I reckon. Um, talking on a more serious subject, um, have you guys dealt a bit with fires uh, as well this, this season? Yeah, we were fighting fires before we came here, but I think everyone's sort of feeling the pressure a bit. It's good that few people could still make it in here for this. How long have you pr- have you guys trained for this? Oh, not really, just a little bit after work, kicking the footy, but that's about it. Um, my name's Brittany, I'm from Pigeonhole Station, work there as a head stockman. Why are you here today? Uh, oh, you know, just for a bit of fun, catch up with a few people before the wet season kicks off, and yeah, no, just a bit of competition, and, yeah, mainly for fun though. <laughs> so, did you guys practice a lot before this? No, actually, we just rocked up, we've been pretty busy, like flat out fighting fires and stuff on the station, so um, we haven't really had time to have practice, but everyone seems to be having a good crack at it, so. Why is it important to play rugby against other, other teams like this, other stations, and... I think it's important because you sort of meet new people here and like that you might not have seen throughout the year. And yeah, just yeah, catching up with everyone else. And, yeah. A lot of fires around your area? Um, yeah, there's been a lot close to us. Um, only just recently we've had some coming to um, the station route. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty good deal. Dry, grass is pretty dry and needing rain, but anyway. <laughs> Did you guys win? I didn't see the scoreboard here. Uh, yeah, we just... I think we've got four scores now, so we're winning at the moment, but just <laughs> start the second half now. Is it going to be party tonight? Oh, bloody oath. Always is. I don't know. Everyone will probably be at buggers, so there might not be as much dancing, but <laughs> I think everyone will definitely have a few beers. Awesome. Good on you. Yeah, I'm Jeff Newton from the Top Saddlery and Bush Boutique here in Catherine. Uh, we're one of the sponsors for this event, which is... Shaping up a pretty good show, I think. It's grown and grown every year they've had it. And um, apart from an unfortunate event this year, I think a couple of teams have had to pull out because of fires. But otherwise, it's shaping up a pretty good rollout and certainly a very good 
um, a, a good event for the town in all this time of the year. Who's your favourite team today? I don't know, I've only just had a quick look at the board there. No, I haven't got any favourites. As long as they all have a good time, no one gets too badly injured and, and I think that's all we can ask for. My name's Jim and uh, myself and my wife uh, organise uh, Ringers Rugby and Catherine each year. How did it all start? It started about five years ago. We we happened to just combine a, a mixed ringers team to enter into the Catherine Rugby Union competition, and um, they had a fair bit of success. and um, And then the following year, we end up with two ringers teams and one uh, a ladies ringers team in the KU competition. And then um, and then the KU competition folded, so we um, we just started decided to go alone and basically started up ringers rugby the the year after. We just we just thought we were going to have a have a, a mixed game in Catherine, and then um, yeah, the group chat just sort of basically blew up, and people got added to it, and then all of a sudden we had about six enough for six teams, so we decided to run a, an individual competition. When you compare it to when you started and looking at it now, how do you feel? Oh, proud, yeah, yeah, very proud. Like it's obviously growing. I don't think we really want it to get much bigger than it is now, but it's got a lot of traction, and um, we've got interest from the Australian Rugby Union have stepped in and helped us out with a few things. So you know, obviously people heard about the concept, and and everyone's keen to get on board. So yeah, we're obviously very very proud. What do you have to say about the teams that didn't make it due to the fires? Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's just the way it is working on the land. So um, that that's just how it happened. So. Uh, majority of the teams have have made it, so um, so it's good. But yeah, hopefully they can get on top of the fires and and hopefully hoping for a good wet season. That is Jim Leonard, who is one of the organisers of the Ringers Rugby Sevens that was held on the weekend there in Catherine. I wonder if you went along and watched a few games. Who won? Who took home the trophies? Well, in the women's rugby, well done to the Bulls Head Bells who had a 19-15 win over the Baines Babes. <laughs> and in the men's, the Borderline Brumbies were victorious with a 14-12 win against the Barkley Santas. Gee, I love some of these names. Hey, just quickly, a moment ago on the Country Hour, I was quoting the former ACCC boss, Professor Alan Fells, that quote was, one of the easiest ways of making a profit is when your costs fall, but you keep your prices up for a time. Eventually, you might have to bring them down, but in that interim period, your profit margin can go way up. That's a quote from the former ACCC boss. On our text line, Sprinkles says, Matt, is that what Woolies and Coles do on pricing so they can stuff us? Pat at Binos says, Alan Fells is correct especially when you look at the influence the major retailers wield and then also not wanting the consumers to be aware of market prices when direct comparisons to what they charge consumers has in recent months brought them negative media coverage, including the Shonky Awards. This affects their image and stock value, reckons Pat at Bino. And Al in Humpty Doo says, Matt's time, the ACCC realised that farmers as private businesses aren't always price takers. We are allowed to sell to the highest bidder. Nothing illegal about that, says Al in Humpty Doo. Uh, that's all we've got time for on today's Country Hour. I hope you've enjoyed 
the broadcast. Make sure you stay up to date with ABC Local Radio throughout this afternoon, especially if you're in Central Australia, because those fires on Andulia and on Bond Springs are nasty. There is an easterly wind. Authorities are working hard throughout the area. The Stewart Highway has reopened, but could easily get closed again this afternoon. So stay up to date via the ABC, your emergency broadcaster. And keep it rural.